0: Amen. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the Gospel according to Matthew, all right? Matthew chapter 2 this morning is where we will be and primarily. But Matthew chapter 2, all right? And as you well know, that Christmas is right around the corner. Now, I would like to do this for next few Sundays. I would like to look at some passages that uh, deal with that first Christmas morning, so to speak, but that deal with the first coming of our Savior. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that our Savior came. I'm thankful that we have a Savior. We have a God who left the splendors of heaven, who came down to earth, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. I'm thankful we have a Savior that came to us today. I'm thankful that the Son of God, who would come, be born of a virgin, live a perfect and sinless life, give His life upon the cross for all mankind to shed his blood and die for you and me. Why? To redeem us from our sin. And raise again from from the grave to give us life and give us life more abundant. I'm thankful, listen, that we have a Savior that came. And I want to celebrate that. I'm glad we have a Savior. I'm glad we have a King. The King has come. It uh, seems like that's kind of the theme today. Uh, through the songs that have been sung, they have been reminded that our King has come. And as you come to Matthew chapter 2, that's kind of the emphasis that Matthew puts on it around the coming of, of the Savior, around the birth of, of Christ, That the king, that the King has come. And so in Matthew chapter 2, I'd like to take a couple of of notes of things before we uh, dive into into the text. Let me ask you this. Take note of this. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Who was it that wrote the book of Matthew? Not about once. Okay, Matthew. All right, good job. Uh, Some say, well, God did it. Well, yes, he did through the human penman of Matthew. All right. But uh, Matthew, okay. Uh, Matthew wrote this gospel record. He's a human penman of this gospel record. Record, and uh, as you study as you study this this book and you really study the life of Matthew, you'll find that Matthew himself was a Jewish man, and so he's writing with the Jewish mind in mind. He's writing with the Jewish perspective in mind when it comes to writing about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so you could say that this gospel record was more geared towards Jewish individuals. And we get that idea and say that because of how Matthew 1.1, the very beginning of this book, how Matthew starts out. He says this in Matthew 1.1, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right from the very beginning, Matthew highlights two of the most influential and most important people in all of Jewish history, at least as Jews thought. All right, And that is David and Abraham. And Matthew goes on to give the genealogy of Jesus Christ through these two men. He connects the family tree of Abraham and David and connects all that back to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's connecting the Jewish mind here, in mind at least, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, and I'll be including myself in that, when we read the genealogy and read these names in chapter 1, we struggle to pronounce them. Does everybody know the correct pronunciation of these names? Anybody at all? You know them perfectly. Please tell me, because I need help with those. All right, none of us. Okay. And, uh, but as I read these names and struggle through them, and even sometimes doze off by reading some of these names, it sure does make me uh, glad where I live, where, you know, names around here are easy to pronounce, you know, like names like Bubba, and uh, Bubba Jr., and Bubba uh, Jr., Bubba Jr. Jr., all right? They're just a lot easier than some of these names. But understand they're important. The genealogy and these names given here are highly important because it connects who Jesus is. It connects his lineage. It connects his genealogy. It just shows who he is. And this is what Matthew was doing, all right? Matthew was declaring a magnificent truth, a wonderful, exact, and exciting fact about Jesus. Here it is. Listen. Listen. He was letting it be known from the very beginning that Jesus is not just any other other person in this genealogy. That Jesus is not just any other prophet. Not just any other person born into this world. No, no, no. This Jesus is the king. Not just any king. He's the king. That's what Matthew's trying to get across when he's writing about the birth of our Savior. That this man... He's the king. And he's declaring that the king has come. And listen, if you declare that the king has come and that royalty is here, you'd better be able to back it up because people are going to wonder, well, well, how do you know that? Well, what's his background? What's his credentials, if you will? Uh, What's the proof that this is actually the king? And so Matthew gives the proof through this genealogical way of doing, this factual way of doing it here. Of pointing it all the way back, that Jesus is in the genealogy line of David and Abraham. Jesus Christ, verse 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So please know this morning that the record here, this lineage of Jesus, is the proof that he is the only one who has the right to the throne of David. And that our Savior, who was born that first Christmas day, is the King. Jesus. Is the king. So this morning I like to look at this title, that, the, that this title, The King Has Come, all right? And I want to consider three responses surrounding this fact, uh, spo- responses surrounding that the king has come from three different uh, sets of individuals, all right? And the first one I'd like to highlight are, is this set of folks, and that's in Matthew chapter 2, and it's these guys. Look at it with me. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So the very first ones I'd like to consider this morning that had a response to the, the, the fact that the king has come are these individuals, the wise men. All right, the wise men. The wise men are the ones we come across here. Now They responded to this announcement this way. The very first first way they responded was this way. To come and worship him. Look at verse 2 again. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These men have come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand that the king has come. We've come to worship him. And it's very significant that these men, this would be the first thing they say out of their mouth, the first thing recorded about them in Scripture, it'd be very significant to take note of why this is so important that they did this. Take note of who these wise men were. Now, we must confess we don't know a ton about these, about these guys, but we know a few things, all right? We know these wise men were from the east, meaning east. Of Israel. And if you were to take a map, if I had a map up here, I'd show it to you, all right? But if you were to take a map and look east of Israel, do you know what countries, modern day countries, you would find east of Israel? You would find countries like Jordan, Syria, Iraq, and Iran, and of course others. But those would be the very first ones you'd see in the vicinity of the east of of Israel. And it's very interesting to me that these these countries represent that eastern part of Israel because it could be that these men here in our text, these wise men, were descendants of Ishmael. That these individuals were Arabic-speaking people coming to worship the king. If you know your Bible history, you know that the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, the Jews and Muslims, um, they don't necessarily get along. All right, Uh, that's kind of like the Hatfield McCoys, but worse. But uh, they just don't get along very well if you know your history. And that started, of course, all the way back ever since the time of Abraham. But regardless, if these were really the descendants of Ishmael, we know that since they're from the east, this meant that they were non-Jewish men. Meaning we know these guys were Gentile men. They were not Jews coming here. These are Gentile men coming to Israel, coming to see the king. And by the way, they weren't coming to see the king for war. Rather, their response was to worship the king. It's interesting. Another interesting thing about these men is this. They have been commonly called the Magi, all right? And, of course, Magi refers to a group of scholars who studied the stars. So these men, not only did they come from the east, and very well could have been uh, men of of Ishmael, uh, those Arabic-speaking men, these men were very much also scholarly men, learned individuals. These were not just regular old folks, all right, like me. No, no. Intelligent men highly educated individuals, learned men. These guys would have been really considered scientists in their own right, but they've come to worship the king. Also these men not only would they have been uh, descendants of Ishmael and not only would they've been very learned individuals, but they also would have been very wealthy folks as well. Seeing seeing the very gifts that they brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that they brought in verse number 11, the Bible says that they brought gold frankincense, essential oils, and myrrh, all right? They brought these uh, very costly things to the Lord Jesus Christ. And just on a side note here, uh, just because they brought three, three gifts does not mean that it's only three wise men. All right, I'm just throwing that out there to you. I know some folks have a, have a pet peeve about that, saying it's only three of them. Well, we don't know if there was only three. I have a tendency to believe there were dozens of them, if not hundreds, of wise men coming to bring gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe, no doubt, there was a, probably a caravan of magi traveling from the east to Jerusalem. Because think about it for a second. Run a rabbit trail, bullshoot this rabbit, and move on. All right, but think about it for a minute. Why would King Herod and all of Jerusalem, in verse number three, why would they, as the Bible says, be troubled? Be troubled if the, of the news of only three magi, three wise men coming from the east. Why would they be troubled only three guys? Why? I think it was not just three guys. I think it was a host of people coming from the east, a caravan of folks coming from these dozens, if not hundreds of Ishmaelites coming to their town to worship. And no doubt this, this sight of these many people coming would have been very intimidating, but a uh, multitude of people coming. Coming for, for what purpose? What response? to Coming to worship. Worship him. So try to picture that in your mind as you read Matthew chapter two, all right? Caravan of Middle Eastern people, Gentile men coming, <coughs> coming to your town. These men are very, very intelligent, very powerful, very wealthy. And they've come to Jerusalem, not to make war. It would seem like it's an invasion, an invasion, but not to make war, but to, to worship, to worship the king of the Jews. And no, that's not Herod. That's not Herod. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I thought about these wise men down through the years and, and uh, I thought about this, this Magi here, uh, I thought of these men making their journey from the east and bringing such gifts, such wealth to, to Jesus with them. I had to ask this question, how did they know to come here? How did they know to look for his star, as they said? How did they know that the king, the Jews, would be here? How did they know he'd be born in Israel? How did they know to follow his star, and to do these things. Well, here's what I believe, and I'll keep it short. I believe that uh, uh, these men came here because of one individual who taught them, or at least that was handed down through the years, and taught them that the king will be born, born in Israel. Do you remember? Do you remember uh, what um, great city was in the area of east of Jerusalem or east of Israel? In the modern day Iraq. But do you know, do you remember what ancient city would be, be there in the heart of Iraq? It starts with a B and ends with an Babylon, Babylon, that's right. And do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar and all of Babylon coming to Jerusalem and ransacking the city, but taking back with them certain individuals to learn them in the ways of the Chaldeans? Do you remember that story in the book of Daniel, chapter 1? And more specifically, one of the individuals that they took with them was by the name of Daniel. And of course, the other three Hebrews that we know by name. But he took a whole host back to Babylon. But Daniel is is particularly named there for a specific, specific reason. But Daniel was taken to Babylon. Where no doubt, very possibly, these men were from at least that area. But do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar did for Daniel after rightly interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? Do you remember what he did for Daniel? In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48, the Bible says, Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar the king, made Daniel a great man, gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. So I believe it very well could be that Daniel, being the ruler over the wise men, the magi, he would have taught them the word of God. He would have taught them the prophetic visions and dreams that he would have had. He would have told them that the king would be coming in Israel, of the coming Messiah, the coming king. He would have told them, listen, of the God he knew so well. And that, no doubt, would have been passed down through the years to each wise men after generation after generation. They were looking for this, as it had been prophesied to them by the great man, Daniel. So, here's what these wise men did. I believe they responded to the very light that that was given to them. They responded to the very truth that was given to them, that the king had come, and so they've come seeking the king, and they've come to worship him. That's their response. We know that Jesus has come. Understand, nobody nobody uh, negates the, uh, the, the history that Jesus has come. But it's got to be more than just a history story. And these men made it more, more than just history. They came and worshiped and worshiped him. So don't miss them this Christmas season, all right? Don't miss out on opportunity we have to worship. Worship him because he is worthy. So notice the response of these wise men. They came to worship the Lord. All right, notice another response here. And number two, we see this response comes from none other than Herod the Great. Now understand before we read his response, understand who Herod was. Herod was a uh, wicked man, all right? He was a paranoid, immoral, evil, murderous fellow. Uh, History even says that he was married nine times and in order to fulfill his own sinful lusts, he did this as well as strengthen his political ties, all right? Because all he cared about was Herod, he, himself, and him, all right? That's all he cared about. But he was a wicked man. It's even said that he had one of his wives and two of her brothers killed because he suspected them of treason and conspiring against him. He didn't want anybody to ever interfere, overthrow his rule or take away his power. He was just infatuated with his own self. So since he was a wicked man, paranoid and corrupt tyrant, it's no no surprise that Herod responded the way that he did with this news that the king is here. That the king has come. And look how he responded. Look at verse number three. When Herod the king had heard these things, heard that the king of the Jews had been born, all right, heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Verse 13. And when they had departed, behold, that's the wise men, when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrath and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So there's three phrases here or words that are said about Herod from these verses. And they really show his wicked response to the announcement that the king has come. And the first take note is this, number three, he says this, or the Bible says about him, he was troubled. Now, what does it mean to be troubled? Well, in this context, it means to cause a person inward commotion, to cause a person to have, have his calmness of mind taken away. It means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. Uh, so in short, here's what Herod, his response was to so the king has come. His response was this, he was scared to death. Now, he wasn't scared of the baby, but rather his fear, his scared to deathness, just made up a word. But anyway, his being scared was this, scared that his power, his position, his throne would be taken away. Because remember, it's all about him. It's all about him. So to preserve his sinful lusts of power and greed, he came up with a horrendous plan to have Jesus As the Bible says, destroyed. Again, look at verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Herod was going to destroy Jesus. His last thing he was going to do, that word seek, that's all he wanted. That was his his ultimate goal, to destroy Jesus. And sadly, there are many just like this today, trying to destroy the name of Jesus. But listen, friend, you're not going to destroy the name above all names. Even the people that have tried down through the years, guess what they're going to do? They're going to bow to that name one day. You can't destroy him. You won't cancel Jesus. Amen. All right. Not going to happen. But he sought to destroy Jesus. And then when he found that he was mocked by the wise men, his plan didn't go, to, to go into effect like he wanted. He went into a, uh, a fitted rage and had all the baby boys killed that were two years or younger from Bethlehem all the way down the other coasts of the edge of Israel. Awful what he did. But understand Herod was an evil and cruel man who cared nothing but, but, about him, but only but himself. But also understand, I want you to understand this, this is really eye-opening to me. When it comes to this man Herod, he had, had, listen, he had an opportunity that billions never had. Billions of people never had this opportunity. What is that opportunity, preacher? What What are you talking about? The opportunity to respond appropriately to the news that the king has come to respond appropriately to the news that Jesus had come he had an opportunity to fo- to follow these wise men these intelligent powerful wealthy men too the very feet of Jesus that those men worshiped he had an opportunity to follow them and physically see Jesus with his own eyes he had an opportunity to respond in faith and believe on Jesus not just as a king not just as in history but even listen as his Savior, As the Messiah. Look at it with me. Look at verse 4. Look at at your Bibles. Verse number 4. Let's just start in verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with them. And when he had gathered, he, being Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where, look at it, look at it, look at that next word, where Christ should be born. He didn't say where the baby should be born. He knew who it was that was being born. He said Christ, the Greek word for Messiah. All right, He knew who he was talking about. He knew who he was demanding about. He knew who that baby was. He knew. Look at verse number five. And they said unto him, as the scribes and the chief priests, they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. I understand he had a, such an opportunity that was plainly given to him to respond in faith to the truth that was quoted and given to him. Because remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He had the word of God quoted to him, or at least read to him. But he did not respond in faith. Rather, he responded with such hatred and such vitriol. And he wanted to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because the king had come. And he did not want this new king to interfere with his life. And sadly, this is where many people are today. They don't want the king. They don't want Jesus to interfere with their life. Because they themselves want to be their own own king. Why? Because it's about them themselves, me, myself, and I kind of thing, all right? That's what they're all about. But understand, Jesus, the king, had come. He had come. And the response of Herod was, man, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to destroy this king so he doesn't interfere with my life or my reign. So he responded that way. And then third, and lastly, I want to see this response from this group of people. This group of people, the chief priests and the scribes. Again, look at verse number four. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So who are the uh, chief priests and scribes here in in these verses? Well, in short, the chief priests and scribes were master teachers, if you will, of the Old Testament scriptures. They would have known the Old Testament front to back. And so they would have known of these promises of where Christ should be born. They would have known of the coming Messiah. They know of the place he'd be born, how he'd be born, know everything surrounding the birth of the coming Messiah king. And they even quoted the verses to, I believe quoted, but quoted the verses to Herod. Maybe it was uh, these verses. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratha, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Or maybe they quoted Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." And understand, when these chief priests and scribes quoted uh, these verses to to King Herod, they did this. They put their uh, um, stamp of authorization on what the wise men came asking for. They said, the wise men are correct because here's what the Bible says. Everything surrounding the birth of Christ here was being authorized by Scripture, authorized by different people. Time and time again, this is the king that has come and if anybody in this text should have been rejoicing at the news that the king has come it should have been these guys it should have been these priests It should have been these scribes it should have been because they were privileged to know more truth and light than many others in that time frame it should have been these guys that have been leaping for gladness full of gladness seeing a glimmer of hope during these dark days in which they were living but what was their response what did these guys do? What did the chief priests and scribes do with the very news that the king has come? What did they do? Here's what they did. Drum roll, please. All right, here it is. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not a Zilch. Zero. They did nothing. They were silent. They were completely silent. Yes, they quoted scripture. Yes, they gave what the Bible says, and that was it. They were completely silent. So here's what they did. They ignored it all. They ignored the wise men, these highly learned, intelligent, powerful, and wealthy men. Men who made a journey, not because of a hunch, but because of truth and fact. But they ignored it. They ignored the scriptures, the very promises that they've known time and time again, that they've been taught, that they have memorized. They themselves have quoted and taught, themselves have taught. They ignored the scripture. They ignored it all. And in doing so, here's what they did. They disregarded the Lord and went about their business as if what they had seen and as if what they had heard did not, listen, did not exist. They did nothing. They did nothing. And listen, there may be many people who live their lives like Herod, don't want God to interfere in their life whatsoever, want nothing to do with God, want want nothing to do with the Lord. Maybe many people live in their life that way, but listen, there's even more people who live like the scribes and chief priests who hear the truth, know the truth, yet ignore it. Many more people do that. Ignore the very light that's given to them, sadly, many living their lives this way. What they should have done was spoke out and spoke up and said, oh yeah, the king is coming. I'm going with these wise men. I got to see, I got to see King Jesus. But they ignored it and did nothing, did nothing. Listen, I fear that in some ways this is where many believers are even in their own lives. They know the truth. They know who Jesus is. Ignore it. They won't allow him to be king of their life. Savior, okay. Thank you for saving me, Lord. But that's it. They don't want to be Lord and king, ruler. And they ignore it. Ignore it completely. Give very very little regard to the king. And act as if he doesn't even exist until they need him to. And you know I'm speaking the truth. You know, we've, we've said it many times. Let's put Christ back in Christmas. I agree. I like it. I hate seeing the when people say Mary has an X and then Moss. All right, I hate that, man. Come on. I know what you're trying to do. It may, may say, well, it's just a shorter way of writing. Are you that lazy? You can't put another three or four letters in a, in a word. Come on. What they're trying to do is mark out and cancel Jesus, right? But... I hate that. I do. And so we say, let's put Christ back in Christmas. And I say, Amen. But you know what we really need to be doing? Not just in this time of year, making emphasis of the Lord, but all year round. And therefore, let's put Christ back in Christian. Because so many believers just just ignoring Him. Ignoring truth. Ignoring the Word of God. Ignoring what God is trying to do in our heart and life. Just ignoring it. So let's put Christ back in Christian. So I want to encourage you today, don't ignore Him anymore. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've been ignoring that conviction in your heart for some time. As He's trying to get across to you, you need to be saved. Stop ignoring it. And call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Or maybe you're here and you haven't been walking with God. As you know, you should be walking with God. And he's trying to get your attention. He's knocking at your heart's door in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20. Just as he did at the very door of the church of Laodicea. Because he simply wants to have fellowship with you. He said if you open that door, he will come in and sup with you and he, and you with him. He wants to walk with you and be with you, have fellowship with you. Stop ignoring it. Stop and respond correctly and appropriately to the king.